Well, today is Palm Sunday, if you do not already know. And uh, this is the day when, when Jesus of Nazareth mounted a donkey and rode it into Jerusalem with much fanfare. And the majority of Jesus's ministry took place outside of Jerusalem in small towns surrounding the Sea of Galilee. He acquired a large following in those places. And these were the people, these Galileans, who traveled with him to Jerusalem. As the city became visible on the horizon, these people began laying down on the road in front of him their coats and palm tree branches they had recently chopped off of the trees lining the road. They were creating a makeshift red carpet for the one whom they declared to be their king. And he sauntered into that holy city, passing through the gates and ancient doors, and was received in that place like a celebrated warrior returning home after some heroic victory over the people's enemy. He entered through the gates and kept pressing further in and further up until he reached the heart and apex of that city, the temple, the physical place on earth where God was said to live. God is, of course, everywhere, but in an act of gracious accommodation to his people, he took up residence in a physical place so as to assure them that he could at least always be found in the temple. There Jesus dismounted, and leaving his donkey behind, he walked into the presence of God. In the temple, there were always people worshiping no matter the day. Even though the priests had turned the temple into a for-profit business for their personal benefit, still people came to the temple and worshipped. And one scholar interestingly points out that, according to ancient rabbinical sources, the Jewish liturgy always used Psalm 24, our psalm for this morning, in worship on the first day of the week. And this scholar then goes on to explain the significance of this observation for us on Palm Sunday. He writes, Psalm 24 was always used in worship on the first day of the week. The first day of the week is our Sunday. So putting these facts together, we may assume that these were the words being recited by the temple priests at the very time the Lord Jesus Christ mounted a donkey and ascended the rocky approach to Jerusalem. The people who were outside the walls, who were approaching Jerusalem with him, exclaimed, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And inside, the priests were intoning, Lift up your head, O you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the king of glory. Jesus was being recognized for who he was, the King of Kings, the Lord Almighty, God in the flesh. For one group of people, the praise was intentional. For the other, it was coincidence. But nonetheless, God orchestrated a situation in which everyone was pointing to him. Even those who hated him unwittingly spoke his praise on Palm Sunday because it was his time to be known. The religious leaders scolded him for accepting such praise from the crowds, and Jesus replied by informing them that if he were to silence the crowds, then God would make even the inanimate stones shout his praise. 
By whatever means necessary, God was making his son known to the people who would execute him in the short span of one week so that they would be without excuse, but also in the hope that the coordination of praise echoing through the air at the moment Jesus rode into town would cause people to pause and ask afresh, who is this Jesus? That the people and the priests alike are singing of his arrival. And if we turn our attention to Psalm 24, the psalm that was being recited in the temple that Palm Sunday, then we will begin to see why Jesus is worthy of such worship both then and now. The psalm begins with two verses that describe God. At first, they seem disconnected from the rest of the psalm, which was used as a liturgical call and response between worshipers approaching the temple and those serving at the temple. But these two verses are not disconnected at all because they describe the destination towards which humanity travels. Jews went to the temple because God was there. In approaching the temple, they believed themselves to be approaching God because that was his home on earth. They were looking for God. And it's a search that is ingrained into the human heart. We are all looking for the triune God of the Bible because we are all looking for the things that only he can offer. Three of those things that humanity innately desires, but only God possesses, are listed in this description of God at the beginning of Psalm 24 in these first two verses. And the first is love without limits. A love that, that sees into your soul and knows your every thought, but doesn't turn away in disgust. A love that, that stays by your side, holds your hand, and continually assures you that I still love you in moments of greatest doubt. This is what we all want. But it's a kind of love that's honestly impossible between humans, even between parents and their children, or between spouses, because you can always hide something away from another person. There's always something left unsaid, or some little secret withheld. But God hears every thoughts of yours as if you had spoken them aloud. He knows your true motivations for every action, even if you don't know it yourself. He sees all things, knows all things, and he loves you still. Why? Well, verse 1 tells us, he loves you just because you're his, because he made you. We belong to him. The earth is the Lord's, verse 1 begins, and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. He's the creator. More specifically, he is our creator. And after creating us, he made known his pleasure with us, declaring us to be very good. His love for us is circular in its reasoning. I love you because I love you, is what he tells us. The bond of creation makes his love the kind of love that Sally Lloyd-Jones describes in the Jesus Storybook Bible. It is a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. We long for this kind of love. It's the kind of love that only a creator can have for his creation. A love dependent not on performance or goodness even, but a love that exists merely by virtue of our existence. Limitless love. 
The second thing humanity seeks that only God can provide is the ability to create new realities. Certainly you have felt that desire, that desire in these days of sheltering in place while an invisible virus threatens and wreaks havoc on humanity. Verse 1 would remind you that God created all things in the first place. And the logic would ask that if he created in the first place, what's to stop him from doing it again? The answer to that question is nothing. Which means that having created humanity from the dust of the earth once, he can do it again. In fact, he's promised to do that just in the resurrection. Having already established the pattern in Jesus. Resurrection follows death for all those who are in Christ. His ability to create means that he can correct what is wrong and broken in this world. In fact, he's promised to make a new earth for us. But what's the holdup, you may be asking, particularly in these days? That's a very fair question, which I don't have the answer to. But I do know that his delay means opportunity for some to experience their innate vulnerability as contingent creatures and turn to him for hope. It is at least partially grace that prolongs the delay, for he is waiting for the world, for you perhaps, to turn to him in repentance and find satisfaction for their searching soul and the one who can actually and will create new realities, new worlds. And the third thing humanity desires that only God can provide is victory, true victory. And the second verse of Psalm 24 says that God founded the world on the seas and established it upon the rivers. And scholars point out that the psalmist is making a theological point with his choice of words here. The ancient Middle Eastern mind was terrified of the sea and of the ocean. Water was chaotic and to be feared. It's no coincidence that the apocalyptic book of Revelation has a beast with seven heads and ten horns let loose to terrorize the saints coming out of the sea. The sea was where such ghastly creatures lived, but God built on top of the sea, thereby showing his supremacy over those primordial creatures and the chaos they represented. The psalmist is trying to tell us that God is able to defeat our greatest enemies and grant us victory over those things that prey on our fears. He's able to bring order out of chaos. Indeed, he has ensured us that victory over humanity's greatest enemy in the, de in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and our death and resurrection to new life through faith in him. He has defeated death. There is no greater threat to humanity than that, and he has proved himself victorious over it. God alone can provide the love you seek. He alone can create new realities for you that seem impossible at this moment. And he alone can give you victory over the things you fear, death itself. But this all raises the question, how does one find God and come close to him? And that is the question that the rest of this psalm answers. The rest of this psalm is this interesting call and response that was used liturgically by those approaching the temple for worship. The worshipers approaching the temple because God was there would call out the questions in verse 3. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? In other words, 
who is worthy to come into God's presence? And the response from the temple was a list of qualifications for who was worthy to enter God's presence. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. And it's an abbreviated list in comparison to Psalm 15, where such requirements as walking blamelessly, speaking only the truth, and swearing to your own hurt and not changing are listed as well. In other words, humanity desires God for all the reasons we have articulated. And yet, only those who are pure and innocent on the inside and outside can draw close to him and hide themselves in him, receiving those good things that we all long for, but only he can fulfill. We have no right to draw close to him. We can't. But Psalm 24 ends with a call for the gates and the ancient doors to be lifted up because someone does approach. It's the King of glory, the Lord strong and mighty, the, the Lord of many hosts. He is entering the temple, and you must understand that this King of glory is none other than Jesus Christ riding on a donkey. The people outside recognized it. The priests inside unwittingly acknowledged it, and the stones would have cried out had either of those held their tongues. Jesus alone met the qualifications to approach God, and the reason why his approach is the cause for such a celebration complete with waving palm branches and a red carpet rolled out to pad his donkey's hooves is because he approaches God on our behalf. He enters into God's presence for you. As the donkey carried him to the steps of the temple, so he carries us into the heart of God. We remain undeserving, unworthy, but we can approach God through the blood of Jesus Christ. The pure in heart approached God, and his journey unexpectedly resulted in his death. But that was so that we, covered in his sacrificial blood on our behalf, may now unworthily approach God and be accepted by him. It's pure grace by which we are saved. We do not meet the qualifications, and yet we approach. And in Jesus Christ, we enter into a world of limitless and conditionless love. We enter into the possibility and promise of new and unforeseen realities. And in him, we become victorious over this world. It's no wonder the people shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. I pray such praise will be on your lips this day as well. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.